Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the party. 45 years in journalism between the two of us. Over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And we're going to hit Texans, Astros, and Cougars in a bit. But Sean, we got to show some love to the Houston pro franchise that hasn't lost a game ever. The <laughs> Roughnecks are back, 33-12 to 12 wins, still undefeated as a franchise, now 6-0. and oh, And Wade Phillips can still coach a little defense. They gave up 12 points and racked up six sacks, Sean. Yeah, how about that? Uh, it was a hell of a first showing, man, and I'm, I'm glad it went so well again uh, for this uh, second go-around. Uh, I, I really anticipated uh, taking that game in, either in person or watching on TV, but um, I was actually just down the road uh, when they were playing. I was uh, doing a public address announcing for Cougar Baseball that day, so I wasn't too far away. Um, walking up to the baseball game, by the way, I noticed a pretty good crowd. I don't know what exactly it turned out to be. I didn't hear any official attendance numbers outside of uh, the game in uh, San Antonio. I think it was San Antonio and St. Louis, I, I believe it was. I think they got 24, almost 25,000 fans. Do you recall how many uh, showed up for the Roughnecks game? I didn't catch a number on that. It, it's unbelievable, though, that they uh, just keep winning games. I mean, it's like, hey, we don't have the Texans, but the Roughnecks keep winning games. And how about Wade Phillips coaching his first game yeah, as yeah. a pro football head coach in Houston in his 54 years of a coaching career, 42 years after him and his dad, this is 42 years after him and his dad both got fired by the Oilers. I just couldn't be happier for him, Sean. And Bum and Wade, they're Houston football royalty, really. I mean, there's no question, you know, that that's the case. Um, I'm, I'm happy for Wade. That's a sweet hat. I'm happy for Wade that, you know, he's still got the got the uh, the passion, you know, to coach, to be out there, uh, regardless of what, what level. I mean, I have to believe that, you know, coaching the Roughnecks is not, you know, but just a fraction of the grind, you know, that you would uh, put into a normal NFL or certainly even collegiate coaching job. But this is probably more fun, and this is right up his alley at this stage of his career and really life that he gets to be – you know, more of uh, that father figure and that leader by example, um, you know, to his players and to some young coaches that are using this as an avenue to kind of break into the game and uh, at whatever level. Uh, so I'm excited for him. And, hey, it's just always good to have a winner in town, regardless of what level it is. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it, but he was asked before the game on the broadcast about getting to coach with Houston on the front of his uniform and you could tell there was genuine excitement. And I, I, I kind of felt something a little bit when he was talking about it that I wasn't expecting just, ah, oh, it's a rough next game. It's the XFL again, whatever. But then I saw Wade's reaction and what it meant to him. And it was, that was neat. Yeah. And you know, I, I like the product to be honest with you, because it offers some things that the NFL and just college doesn't, you know, I mean, the, the full access, you know, transparency, players mic'd up, you know, getting to hear play calls and um, the, you know, the kind of quirky things I don't think a lot of people still like, but just accepting it for what it's worth. It is, you know, just a different brand of football and it is 
football, you know, a nice carryover between the NFL and Major League Baseball season getting underway here pretty soon. You know, the uh, option to to get a three-point conversion or to uh, go for a fourth and 15 instead of punting the ball away or or not punting it away, but, you know, an onside kick, you know, things like that. I, I, I like it. I'm here for it. And, um, you know, if it was evidenced by anything, just look how exciting that Saint San Antonio game was. Um, you know, that, 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 that game was what, 13 to three or something like that, you know, with a minute 38 left. And we saw a great comeback. We saw some tremendous plays, some play calls. And um, I was excited for that. And, you know, hopefully the Roughnecks continue to play some winning football and Wade Phillips, you know, wins himself a championship in the XFL. That'd be awesome. Sure was nice to have a replay challenge that they could do under an hour and a half, you know, like we'd have in these other sports. <laughs> and the other thing that you you really like is kind of cool about the XFL, I think. Sometimes you think with the NBA, it, it feels a little intrusive when they're interviewing these coaches, but really it's the coaches that make it feel intrusive because they interview the players during the XFL. And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. You get cool reactions from them during the games. I say this, but I appreciate it. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I appreciate you know, that kind of access to the players and coaches, because there's even elements of that in regular baseball games, even in postseason baseball games. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you know, we have the option to talk to the managers in the dugout between innings, which is awesome. I mean, it's a little peel back the curtain, you know, get some insight into what they're thinking, you know, or about a previous play or a situation or maybe some strategy like, hey, why are you warming this guy up in the bullpen? You know, that kind of a thing. I like having that in my football, too. And I was I stopped myself short of it. I was going to say I'd like to see it in the NFL, maybe. But maybe again, I wouldn't. You know, I would just maybe like to hear a little bit more live in-game mic'd up maybe some play calls or something like that, but it probably won't happen. I want to move to the Texans, but we've been talking a lot about the coaching situation. Let's start talking about free agency and the draft, Sean. And the best way to support us, by the way, is subscribe and comment on YouTube. You can listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. We're almost at a thousand subscribers. Come on, put us over the top. It's nice. a really cool number. Um, but Sean, the, the Texans have six of the top 104 picks in this year's draft. And let's assume they draft a quarterback and keep the other five picks as is. There's not a trade down. You know, a lot of things can happen. But what five positions are top priority for you? But before you answer that question, though, what starting position or positions would you want them to address in free agency rather than the draft? And, Sean, I'm hoping they address guard and or center, like I was talking about in some of the shows last week, because those are cheaper positions where you could use a veteran presence. You hit the nail on the head. Um, we talked about it on the, the show today. You know, I was filling in for Payne and Pendergast and myself and Brandon Scott. I, that's that's the question that I asked him. I said, you know, a, a lot of this draft talk is fun. I, I love to have it. I'm here for it. But, you know, the new league year starts March 15th. That's when the free agency period officially begins. So you've got from March 15th leading up until April 27th for teams, and particularly the Texans, to kind of make this conversation a little bit easier for us in terms of anticipating what position, never mind exactly who they'll draft at number two or number 12 or, you know, with the second, third, fourth round picks that they've got. But I think you're absolutely right. You and I discussed this last week, and I think addressing the need at center is paramount in free agency. Um, and I for this reason. Because 
you would like a guy that is veteran, proven, and maybe even ascending player. And the guy that I look at that comes to mind is one actually that you brought up last week, the San Francisco 49ers center. Um, Jake, I can't, I forget Brendel. how to pronounce his last name. Say it yeah, again. Brendel. 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 Yeah, I was going to say Braylon, but um, Jake Brendel. I, he fits the mold perfectly, not just because obviously um, we, we're basically taking the Shanahan playbook and Bobby Sloak's going to be able to put his stamp on it, but it is a large part of that. And that Sloak's over here, D'Amico's over here, Corey Unlin's over here. You know, they took their chief of staff, uh, D'Amico did with them. And a couple of other guys, you know, who have been brought up in that Shanahan tree. If you're able to get a starting center and a guy that is an ascending player just the age of 30 years old and seemingly at a bit of an impasse with the 49ers contractually right now, um, that makes it a very easy transition or at least an easier transition for a young rookie quarterback coming in, learning a system to be able to have that center that can handle some of the line calls and just usher in a young guy into the NFL. That would be that would be huge and my number one reason. And, you know, another another position, I think, of need that I would like to see them address in free agency is an interior defensive lineman. I think they just need that presence. They need that toughness. They need somebody that's kind of been there, done that. They can still, you know what, if if they feel like uh, Kurt Heinisch is a guy they'd like to keep on and they see something in him, then cool. But I'd really like to see them have a veteran presence there and just a dog. And I know with D'Amico Ryans as the defensive coordinator that, that that's an element that he's going to bring naturally because that's what he demands and demanded of his players when he played and demands of his players as a coach over the course of the last uh, you know, six years he's been doing that in the uh, NFL, certainly as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, you you got to a position that I definitely want them to address, but I'm going to have them address it in another way because my top five positions in the draft, excluding quarterback, I'm going to say start with the pass rusher for sure. That's number one wide receiver. They desperately need warm bodies at that position. An interior defensive lineman, like you said, to go with Malik Collins. I feel like they got somebody that was relatively cheap, a veteran, but you want a young guy, maybe that can work with Malik Collins. And, you know, that's the way I see it. But, you know, if you get somebody in free agency, that's great. Linebacker, that's another position. You got to get somebody who knows how to tackle running backs close to the line of scrimmage. There's just an idea for you guys uh, might be worth a shot. And either a center or a guard, whichever, maybe that you can't dress in free agency, which whichever one, you know, if you get a center, then get a guard in the draft. But those are those are my top five just in that. And I'm talking about in those top four rounds. You can yeah. address some other things like running back and elsewhere in the later rounds where you're much more likely to find maybe a diamond in the rough and, and somebody that can start. Because we saw the Chiefs just had a guy that did a lot of damage in the Super Bowl at running back uh, Pacheco. That was a seventh rounder seventh round pick so you never know with those picks yeah and you know what's going to make it really hard and you know i'm here for these problems is if the texans get the quarterback that they want at number two or at number one or whatever the case may be however that shakes out they get it with their first pick in the first round april 27th what's going to be really interesting is that if uh, b john robinson is kind of hanging out there you know with the texans at 12 <laughs> and whether or not they decide to go that route i don't know if they will i mean it would be enticing certainly if you know maybe they anticipate him falling a little bit you trade back or do you trade back up with you know a couple of your second round picks i don't know it's going to be interesting but 
I think you hit the nail on the head again, too, you know, with wide receiver. And a lot depends. Not really depends, but it could certainly make some room. And you need a good veteran presence in the receiver room because I'm not anointing anybody with a job in that room. I mean, not even John Mechie, you know, and hopefully he comes back 110% healthy after having beat cancer. But I'm not anointing Nico Collins anything. And if they decide to keep Chris Moore, you know, you need to compete. You know, look, there's competition going on right now in Astros spring training camp at the catching position, you know, in outfield positions. And, you know, they're even giving Michael Brantley some look at first base. I mean, they're keeping their options open, you know, for a team that has so much to prove, um, never mind to the fans, but to themselves, um, to Nick Cassera, you have got to facilitate competition everywhere on the field. And one of the biggest you know, spots you could do it in as wide receiver and certainly offensive line and defensive line is one, um, you know, or, or two or three other positions. But, um, you know, I'd really like to see them go after a really good linebacker, Robert, because in, in talking about this, while I'm not ready to anoint anybody a given position, there are still maybe five to seven spots on this team that you can pretty confidently say, you know what, we've got that locked down. And that's left tackle, right tackle, Christian Harris somewhere in that linebacker core, Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, and Steven Nelson in the secondary. That's about it. That's where I draw the line. I want a good, hungry linebacker in the draft, and I'd also really like to see them get a good, solid veteran in free agency to play linebacker as well. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Well, yeah, linebacker, maybe their worst position outside of quarterback and center last year. I mean, it's not just their worst position because – they were bad, but you're bad at multiple positions at linebacker. It wasn't just one position. So, yeah, that's a big deal. And I stayed away from – it's always good to have safeties and cornerbacks, but I just – I stayed away from that because they just drafted a safety and a corner high. I mean, yeah, you could use more depth there, but I just went with the ones that I felt like were grade A priority of, like, we desperately need somebody at those positions and, and in that area. And yeah. to me, that's the place you get some of those guys in the, in the draft is you get them up high. Because other positions, sometimes you can just you can find that diamond in the rough later in the draft at some other some of the other positions. You can, um, but you really need a, a a tough, smart guy, you know, at linebacker, and you're typically going to find those, you know, earlier in rounds. And you know, I, I want to see a little bit more Garrett Wallow, to be quite honest with you. And I I'm even here for a little bit more Christian Kirksey just to see if he could thrive a little bit more in a better scheme, a better system, because what Lovey was asking his linebackers to do is just utterly ridiculous at times, you know, dropping him into coverage, just creating his own mismatches that worked against him. You know, how many times towards the end of the season do we see Christian Harris, you know, in coverage? And he wasn't bad. I've seen a lot worse. But it wasn't good either, you know, and that's not that's not utilizing his skill set. As much as we talk about how Lovey Smith screwed the pooch, you know, and didn't use Derek Stingley to his skill set and and optimize that, I don't think he did with Christian Harris either. I think if you really look closely at it, and I kind of don't want to at this point in time because that's the past and it was so bad to watch to begin with, you probably see that a lot, you know, across the board defensively, um, you know, in that Lovey Smith system, which was so blase, so fundamentally erred um, that I, I'm excited to see, you know, what D'Amico Ryans is bringing and how aggressive and creative um, they can evolve into. I'm not looking for this kind of stuff right away, but I am looking, 
you know, for much more fundamentally sound type of football and aggressive, good old fashioned, you know, put put some, uh, you know, butts in the dirt kind of football from D'Amico in this defense. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I just I'm not going to be upset if they can't address everything that they need and all of these positions. But uh, you 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 do have to take the best guy available um, at times. And if there's a guy that drops that you're not expecting to drop and he's a real talent at a position that maybe you already have something, you know, the, the Texans are in no position right now to go, OK, we got to go after this guy because we're mm-hmm. this this position away from being a Super Bowl. Can, you know, they just got to go after best available. I'm just I just kind of wanted to point it out because there are positions that I feel like there are oh, yeah. priority and and you and you have to get. Those guys typically high in the draft. It's a great conversation to have, and it's not going to be the last time that you or I have this. I'm I'm looking forward to March 15th and beyond. That window before the 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 the, the NFL draft begins, because it, that conversation about what they really need and who that best player um, that could be available is, the conversation becomes a lot easier. So it's it's going to be a fun follow. You know, the Texans they're I think they're almost done completing their coaching staff. They maybe only have a couple of position coaches, um, you know, vacancies left to fill. So once that's done, you know, then it's kind of that trickle down effect. You know, by the time you get the staff in place, free agency hits, new league year begins, and then we can really start getting hot and heavy on the draft. All right, let's move to the Astros because I got to remind everybody that Sean put the hex on Lance McCullers in our last show. You went on and on about how he needed to stay healthy this season. I tried to shush you, but it was too late. And within 24 hours, Dusty says McCullers has arm shortness. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, but no big deal, right? I mean, uh, it's not a surprise. Like, it's to be expected is what he also followed that up with. So I know that's the first thing I thought of immediately, and that's a bad job by me. I should know better. Um, I'll kick my own butt later, but uh, I think Lance will be fine. <laughs> I think Lance will be fine. Knock on wood again. I don't know. I'm just, what, what do you want me to do? I just I don't need to talk about this guy anymore. We don't need to talk about him, mention him. Like, let's just get to the first, like get through the first week, of the rotation of the season. And then, then we're off on our way. Oh yeah. He doesn't even give you like a, a, a good, like arm throw session. And then and start this whole spring training of pitchers and catchers report. And th- then Dusty was asked, this is another thing that was very fascinating. He asked, he was asked if the center field position is a spring competition or if Chaz McCormick is the starter, he said, quote, there's competition. We hope Myers bounces back from the injury. We'll see how Chaz looks. There's room for everybody to play. As you know, and we know, Dusty, Dusty says, I'll play everybody. And Sean, why does he hate Chaz? What is Dusty? I mean, what's happened there? This is totally appropriate, even for Dusty, man. I, if it was any manager, I would hope, in all honesty, that, that they would handle it like this because you don't want to do a disservice to anybody. I mean, if they're good enough to be in your big league camp, then, you know, damn it, you better give them a chance. And look, nobody wants to see Jake Myers succeed more than Jake Myers. And so Dusty knows that. He's got to be able to say these things with confidence to the media. And the word's going to get back. Jake, Jake knows, you know, players talk. They hear these things. They watch these Twitter videos and things like that. And so to have your manager who we lauded for the last couple of years for having his players' backs and never backing down and always 
you know, being that voice through the media to say, uh uh-uh, now you, you want to bench Maldi? No, we don't need this guy to hit. He's as valuable uh, as a player on this team as, as a Justin Verlander, and you'll see why. And he exactly was right. And so I, I want to hear my manager talk like that, for one. Um, but then, too, I mean, look, the, the way you preface this, I, I might be in the minority. I think there's a lot of people out there that fully expected, you know, Dusty to anoint Chaz McCormick, that job in center field. Which, you know what, it, it might very well be the case, but you don't flat out need to say it. Because if it needed to happen, then it's naturally going to happen anyway. Because you need to see Chaz be able to put this thing together wire to wire. He's a good player and was in, and, and succeeded in some big-time moments in the regular season, but certainly the postseason as well. The catch, it was phenomenal. But nobody needs to be anointed anything. It's It's about the grind. And it's just like Dusty said, Moments after the Astros won the World Series a few months ago, hey, one's nice, but two's better. So let's go. Yeah, I just have to remind everybody, though, that Jake Myers was not some highly regarded minor league prospect. And I get Chaz wasn't either. Right. But Jake Myers, 13th round draft pick, who was barely on the radar except for one great minor league season in 2021. And that's right. when he hit it. He had huge numbers in Sugar Land at age 25, which is old. 25 years is old by baseball standards. And Sean, just about everybody, and I keep repeating this because I think we, we can get caught up in these Sugarland numbers sometimes, but everybody hits well in that Sugarland league. It's just a fact. I mean, that's fair, but Jake Myers, you know, played really well when he first came up with the Astros. For like two or three weeks, let's and be honest. But then he got hurt, you know, and coming back from that injury. Yeah, he got, but no, 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 he got, he, he had a good stretch for like three or four weeks. The end of the regular season, he was like not great. Then the playoffs start, he was not great. And then he hits the wall in like an early playoff. It wasn't like this. This is not somebody that's got this long track record of, oh my God, he's going to be the next big thing. Again, he was a guy that was made because of Sugarland and a thousand OPS when he was basically a middling center fielder for most of his minor league career. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispute that, but I'm, I'm telling you, you know, what he showed, you know, in the bigs, I mean, it wasn't great, okay? It wasn't like, hey, let's give this guy the starting job. But it was like, wow, we didn't anticipate this. And the guy is showing us something. I mean, he was he was, he was, was hustling all over the place, making some great catches, some great throws, hitting. And you didn't see this marked slump that you did from him last season where he just could not put it together. And coming back from that injury, I think, in all fairness and just in hope, because you do need depth, Robert, because you had an opportunity if you were the Astros this offseason to go out and make a deal for a center fielder, to go grab somebody that was going to cost you a little bit of money. They chose not to do that. They said, you know what? We believe in Chaz enough to where, you know, we're going to let him go in this spring and compete and do what we think he's very capable of, and that's win that job. But in we need depth too. In an effort to create that, we have to create some competition. So let's see what Jake can show us. If he can stay healthy, hey, maybe he can kind of regain some of that form with a couple of years of big league experience under his belt now and, and give us some quality depth at the position. And I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I'm here for that. I want that. I think Chaz can be that guy. We've had conversations numerous times last season that, you know what, this guy's for real. We think he can be an everyday ball player, not just for the Astros, but obviously for a lot of ball clubs in the bigs. And I, I think Dusty's given him every opportunity to prove just that. 
um, with a little competition. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, my problem with Jake Myers is he's not a bat-to-ball guy. I want somebody that makes contact. The numbers, I don't care if you're hurt. If your hand-eye coordination isn't good, There's there was nothing wrong with his eyes that I heard about the last year. So that was a problem with Jake Myers. And as far as going out and get a, getting a center fielder goes, they had a choice to overpay for a center fielder. I think they made the right choice because – there was just a bunch of guys that were just incredibly overpaid in the offseason to remind everybody if you forgot and keep your powder dry for, you know, the trade deadline when you might need a pitcher, you might need a catcher, you might need that center fielder then, but you might be able to do it with somebody that's making not as much money and you don't have to pay them for the first three, three, four months of the season either. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, it was a good point. It was that uh, Nimmo, right? It was Nimmo uh, from the Mets. Yeah, that, uh, they were really after it. It, it appeared, and you know, there's maybe another guy or two that uh, uh, there was talks of maybe making a deal with uh, via trade or free agent signing. But at the end of the day, I'm glad they didn't either. They didn't need to. You know, I felt like we kind of got caught up in like, damn, Robert, these guys are so good. Like, let's let's take a little bit of what the Yankees have been trying to do what the Red Sox have been trying to do what the Dodgers have been trying to do and just like absolutely stack and stack and stack for what you showed that you you're the best team in baseball hands down with a payroll under $200 million. You don't need to go into that, into that zip code, you know, like you can continue to do what you do and that is develop and grow and get the very best out of the players that have come through your system. So I'm all here for that. All right, man, throw up your H's because the Houston Cougars are number one again, brother. And they took out Memphis Sunday in a huge conference game. What mattered the most to me though, Sean, the way they played defense in that first half, they showed me their ceiling defensively, which I haven't seen against a quality opponent of that ilk this year. Not that Memphis is a top 25 team, but just I just haven't seen it. And in that first half, they were pit bulls, causing 14 turnovers and giving up just 21 points. Yeah, uh, that game was huge for a number of reasons for me. One, you know, because what you talked about defensively, I mean, they were just dogs. And that's what we've been kind of looking for, you know, all season long to see that consistency. And I think over the course of the last week and a half, you're really starting to see that. And this is typical Houston Cougar, Kelvin Sampson basketball. You know, they start to kind of put themselves together, you know, leading into conference tournament time, March Madness time. And I think you're starting to see him ramp up that way, too. But, you know, even Kelvin Sampson, in, in, in his fashion, he wasn't satisfied with the way that they played, you know, against Memphis the other day. You know, there's still a lot of things that he knows they can do better. And, and if you've watched this team all season long, you know they can be more of a consistent rebounding team. You know they can be a better uh, better with ball movement, you know, on the offensive side. You know you know their transition defense is better than it is. And I, I think, you know, over the course of these next three, four games, I think they have left, you know, and going into the conference tournament, I think we'll start to see some of those things improve. But, hey, Memphis is no slouch, Robert. I mean, that's a really good team, well-coached team. And I thought for a guy in Kelvin Sampson who, for my money, is the best quote hands down, you know, in this city, and that's saying something next to Dusty Baker, right, because he's entertaining. But Sampson gives you substance, great substance. But the quote of the weekend, came from the opposition locker room and Penny Hardaway, the Memphis Tigers head coach. When he said after the game, he's like, you know what? That team right there, I'll take that. 
because tomorrow, talking about Monday, that team's going to be number one. He saw exactly, and I, I, I trust Penny's, you know, opinion of, 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 of talent, of good college basketball teams. That meant a lot coming from him, you know, just being the, the team that, you know, trailed wire to wire to one of the best teams in the country. He said, you know what, they're going to be number one come Monday morning. And sure enough, he's right, and the Cougs again deserve it. Here's something I don't get to say much. The Cougs shot 23 of 26 from the free throw line, Sean. They've been improving. You know, um, they had that really bad game. I think it was against Temple that nearly cost them a week and a half, two weeks ago. And um, it wasn't the first game. Uh, it was the second game against Temple. And that, that, that really kind of cost them almost. But they ended up making them towards uh, the end of the game when it really, uh, you know, counted most. And Samson even said afterwards, uh, I think it was, I don't know if I asked him or somebody else now at this point, but it was like, hey, you know, free throw shooting, you know, how are you feeling about that? And he's like, hey, believe it or not, we're actually getting better. I don't know if you know, but, you know, we were in it around the mid-60s, and now we've kind of got our percentage up to around 70, 71, 72%. Ever since he said that, like, they've been markedly better at the line, but particularly late in some of these closer basketball games where, when it matters most, they're just able to kind of reel it in and take a step back and take care of business. And they did that against Memphis, which was huge. Here's the thing, though. Memphis likely will be fully healthy for the uh, last game of the season come March 5th. And it could be a little bit of a different ball game. You know, the Cougs, they've got to be on their A game that day, too, leading into the conference tournament. That's going to be a very important game for them because – who knows what could happen between now and then? It could mean the difference between a one or a two seed. I've been keeping up with the draft because the Rockets are going to be picking high. And Jarris Walker, if you're looking at draft boards, he's sneaking up and he started off the year. Yeah. I would say he was a late lottery pick. And as the year has gone on, it's like, oh, he's kind of number six about now, six or five on some boards. And he's just, it looks better and better. And the thing with Jarris Walker is you don't feel like he, has to do a whole lot because the Cougars don't ask him to do a ton because they've got other guys that can score. It's just, he's like, when you, he said, what are these guys, when you need them, he can give it to you. And you just feel like we still haven't seen maybe all that there is to see with Jairus Walker. And it's exciting when the, you know, the tournament's coming up. Look, I, I know he's, I know he's probably worthy of, of being a lottery pick, you know, and, and you know, I, I say, you know, probably because, I mean, I haven't seen everybody, you know, play. So I'm just kind of saying that in all fairness, but I mean, we know how special of a talent that he is. If you watch this basketball team, you know, every week, um, he's, he's incredible, man. He could do more. If the Cougars wanted to, if there was no Jamal shed, if there was no Marcus Sasser, you know, if there was no Juwan Roberts, they could absolutely lean all in on Jairus Walker and he'd be just fine. I mean, he might be getting more pub than he is right now in college basketball. The guy can just do it all. He can shoot from the outside. He can take guys off the dribble. He's, he's becoming really, really nice in the paint, man. Develops some great touch around the basket um, as a shot blocker, as a rebounder. I mean, he started to put it all together over the course of the last month. But there have been times, Robert, where the Cougs have absolutely needed to rely on him, where Shed's shot is not falling. The ball's getting sticky in his hands. He's not able to move it. And you get the ball to Walker, and he's just going to make something happen. You know, Sasser 
a couple of weeks, it was about a week and a half ago on a, a weekend game. I forget who they were playing. It took, it took Sasser eight and a half game minutes to even find his first shot. And out of a timeout, he said, you know what? I'm passing this ball. I'm going to come down. I'm going to drain a three. And that's exactly what he did. You know, Walker has that same ability. And that that's also got to be something that Kelvin Sampson and this in the staff really have to work through because teams are looking at this, how they play, who they rely upon, and how they involve guys into games. Waiting eight and a half minutes to get Marcus Sasser his first shot in a game, that's something that can't happen. And that really kind of comes down to not just shed, running the point, but that comes down to game planning, you know, with Kelvin Sampson as well. Walker can make up for a lot of these, you know, errors, you know, offensively, defensively, but I'm really looking for that complete package over the course of this next week and into the conference tournament for the Cougars to, uh, you know, kind of clean some stuff up. And I think you're really going to see a special, special Jairus Walker, you know, come come tournament season. He's He's going to really ascend, I think. Yeah, I don't think he's somebody that would be on the Rockets' radar necessarily unless they drop all the way down to five. However, he's kind of who the Rockets are missing. He hits threes. It looks like he's got a little bit of range. Maybe it won't be as much because the three-point line's a little bit further back, but I think he'll get there with that. He plays great defense. The Rockets don't have guys that do that. He also plays team basketball. He passes the ball. It's not about him. Rockets have a lot of guys that are about him. So I, I like him in the NBA. I just feel very doubtful that the Rockets are going to be on his radar. Or the, the, he's going to be on the Rockets' radar. And you hope the Rockets' radar is just Wemby, and that's who they're going to get the first pick. Uh, you know, as uh, Tillman said this weekend, pray for Wemby. I guess that's the philosophy yeah. with the Rockets. That's the <laughs> overall deal. We're going to talk Rockets uh, – uh, tomorrow's show with Frank with Rockets Chop Shop. We'll get into the All-Star Weekend. And basically, mm-hmm. I mean, I can sum it up real quickly, but we'll get into a little bit more. It was a lot like the Rockets season. A bunch of missed three-point shots. Uh, guys that didn't get a chance to play because of coaches didn't put them in. Uh, tell me if any of this sounds familiar. They had uh, bad passing that uh, hurt them in the slam dunk competition. It's like, oh, Bad passing, can't hit three-pointers, uh, coaches that kind of don't play them. Oh, that sounds that sounds a whole hell of a lot like the Rockets. A lot of standing around. Um, it, full disclosure, man, I didn't waste my time on the All-Star game. I've been out on the All-Star game probably for about the last four or five years. Once the three-point and the dunk contest is over, that's it for me. It's one of those things where I like the ambiance. I'll have it on in the background, but I'm not watching it. It's, it's just – it's not fun. It's not entertaining. I don't like Team Giannis, Team LeBron, all that crap. I want East and West. I'm old guy. Get off my lawn to a certain degree with this kind of a thing. But I just you want to see you want to see a better game. <laughs> you know, like for whatever reason, them having Vin Diesel open up the whole you know All Star Weekend thing. What he said was complete trash. It was so on the opposite end of the spectrum and how he built the game up. You know, we're going to see competition and talent in its purest form. Get out of here with this garbage. You haven't seen it in its purest form in the exhibition that is the NBA All-Star Game in probably 25 years. It's just, it's been a bad product. It'll never go by the wayside like the Pro Bowl game has in the NFL. But in terms of like actually keeping eyeballs on TV sets to watch that trash, it's pretty close. 
it's funny because a lot of these guys that walk around today are wearing their Kobe gear and giving you this. Kobe was my guy. Kobe was, you know what Kobe wouldn't have done? He, he wouldn't have shown up to the all-star game and said, you know what? I ain't playing defense in this thing. I ain't trying to be competitive. I ain't trying to win. That wasn't Kobe Bryant. If you want to be like Kobe Bryant, if that's your hero, then go out and show it. Yeah. I mean, just you put on a show, put on a show. You know, they hand out these awards, you know, called Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> you know, um, it's not always just about offense. It's not always about offensive player of the year or best three point shooter or best dunker or the MVP. You know, it's people want to see like a game in competition and you can't have great competition when you're just throwing up 40 foot threes, you know, back to back to back to back to back and whipping the ball around behind your back and bouncing it off your foot because you're trying to do some, you know, crazy, uh, you know, stuff, you know, on the court that you've never executed before successfully in your life. Like, but because you're on the biggest stage, you're going to try and see if it works. I, I just don't like it. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'll change a little bit. I know they've tried to, you know, make the last couple of minutes of a quarter matter and they get guys to play harder. No, they don't. I mean, I know what they're trying to do, but it's not working. And if you just stop so much trying to appease, you know, really at the end of the day, the non-basketball fan that says, oh, I want to see more points scored. Really? You want to see somebody put up, you know, a, 200 points in an all-star game is that is that really what we need to see to get you in no if you're not in you're never going to be in it's the same people that say baseball games take too long they're not really baseball fans you know don't listen to them and unfortunately baseball has and they've gotten to the point to where we've got pitch clocks bat clocks all kinds of clocks going all over the place limitations on what players can do it's stop i'm not here for that yeah, you lost me at the last part. You were doing so good too. I know you and I, you and I, we we do this, you know, on the baseball thing. But you know, it's all good. I still love you, bro. All right. If you love us out there, this is what I need you to do. First of all, we're almost at a thousand. Like I said, subscribe. Uh, tell your grandparents. Tell your kids. Tell your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. Subscribe to Houston Sports Talk. We give you all the sports all the time. And if you're interested in helping us even more, we're looking for sponsors hit us up you know where to find us on twitter and facebook and we got an email address that's uh typically in uh available on the website as well info at houston sports talk if you don't know but it's usually in the show description but we'd love to hear from you um otherwise uh we'll, we will catch you on thursday and uh i'll see you then john hi robert always enjoy it my man you're listening to houston sports talk Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.